At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, it is our privilege to partner with local churches both in the United States and around the world in training men for the gospel ministry. If your church supports CBTS with $200 a month and a commitment to pray for us, any student in your church can attend CBTS tuition-free. To learn more about how you can partner with us in providing informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, visit cbtseminary.org. You are listening to Particular Pilgrims, stories from Reformed Baptist history with commentary. I'm your host, Ron Miller, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church of Clarksville, Tennessee, and a longtime student and collector of Particular Baptist history. We're on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. Benjamin Bedham was appreciated as a fine preacher by his congregation, and his gift in this regard was widely admired in the particular Baptist churches and beyond. We have seen that it was his preaching and the blessing of God upon it that caused the Burton Church to pursue him as their pastor. But there were other admirers. Robert Hall Jr., perhaps the premier Baptist preacher of the next generation, wrote the following, quote, As a preacher, he was universally admired for the piety and unction of his sentiments, the felicity of his arrangement, and the purity, force, and simplicity of his language, all of which were recommended by a delivery perfectly natural and graceful. John Rippon, follower of John Gill in his London pastorate, says, Though his voice was low, his delivery was forcible and demanded attention. He addressed the hearts and consciences of his hearers. His inventive faculty was extraordinary and threw an endless variety into his public services. He goes on, quote, No man in all his connections wrote more sermons nor composed them with greater care. Michael Haken, though, has located the most compelling evidence of Bedham's preaching abilities when he quotes John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace and a leader in the evangelical circles of the Church of England, referred to several sermons by Bedham in his diary. After hearing him preach at the ordination of John Sutcliffe, Newton said, quote, He is an admirable preacher, simple, savory, weighty. Another time he wrote that the sermon, quote, gave me a pleasure I seldom find in hearing. It was an excellent discourse indeed, and the Lord was pleased to give me some softenings and relentings of heart. I think his soul response speaks as clearly as his diary entry regarding Bedham's preaching. None of Bedham's sermons were printed during his lifetime, but afterward his notes became the basis for eight volumes of sermons with 20 sermons in each book. They were titled Short Discourses Adapted to Village Worship or The Devotions of the Family. So these won't tell us how he actually preached these texts, but they do give clear outlines, explanatory content, and improvements, or what we today would call uses or applications. My copy of these sermons is a two-volume set that collects the various printings from the 1820s and 1830s. They were very popular, going through many editions, and must have been useful to their readers. I have certainly profited from reading them. 
Bedham did not only preach to his own congregation. He was a frequent speaker at the regional Baptist association meetings and in nearby Baptist churches. This led to other churches pursuing him, two of which brought special challenges. When Bedham was just 30, his aging father, pastoring in Pathay, Bristol, wrote to him urging him to join him in the ministry there. There were many perks, of course, to being in a major city with his father and mother. In fact, John Bedham listed four of them to his son, including the argument, quote, it would be a great comfort to your poor mother to sit under your ministry. You can feel the emotional tug. One early biographer wondered if Benjamin's interest in Elizabeth Boswell, whom he was to marry the next year, played a role in him staying in Burton. He imagines her saying to Benjamin, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. (laughs) Whatever the reason, he stayed in Burton for all of his ministerial life, totaling over 50 years. The other church that tugged on him was Prescott Street, the London body where he was baptized and sent out to preach. Pastor Samuel Wilson had died, and the congregation pursued Bedham for several years, arguing that his usefulness would be greater in the city. Again, Bedham and the Burton Church answered that he would stay in the country. As the years went on, there were many losses to death in the family. Three promising sons died, and after 33 years of marriage, Elizabeth entered eternity as well. Benjamin suffered from gout and other ailments so that the later years of ministry were difficult. Assisting pastors were hired and other care taken. For example, since walking for him was difficult, he would be carried to church and he preached from a chair. He wrote sermons, though, to the very end and preached for the last time less than two weeks before he died. It should be noted that at least five men were sent out from the village church of Burton during Bedham's time. Most prominent is John Collett Ryland, who I'm sure we'll look at in some future episode, Lord willing. But also useful to the churches were John Reynolds, Richard Haynes, and several others. Thomas Coles was converted at the very end of Bedham's pastorate and was sent to Bristol Academy for training. He would later pastor the Burton Church for almost 40 years. I have found reading Bedham to be easy and profitable. He typically preached textually, that is, on one verse. But then he supports his doctrines from other scriptures. His wide-ranging knowledge of the Bible is obvious. His orthodoxy, clear. And all of this is appropriately inserted into his messages. His outlines are also clear, and it's not hard to see that his small-town congregation could have grasped and profited from them. Several hearers and readers of his sermons note his inventive abilities. He was plain without being dull. In many respects, he reminds me of Charles Spurgeon in all this. Bedham did not believe in leaving his hearers with doctrines only. He made it a point to almost always include applications to their consciences. He knew only God could make these effective, but he also believed it was his job to probe and appeal so that the Holy Spirit could have some scriptural matter to work with. These were usually placed at the end of the sermon 
to drive home the main practical points. Here is a short sample of a randomly selected sermon on 1 Corinthians 16.13, Quit you like men, be strong. The introduction begins as follows. Paul well knew what constituted a soldier of the cross. He had done and suffered much for Christ himself and therefore endeavors to prepare the Corinthians for the conflict. Yet, as Christian heroism is not to assume a martial aspect, but to be blended with the milder graces, he immediately adds, let all your things be done with charity. Few Christians suspect that their greatest strength lies in this. Yet, as charity is the bond of perfectness, it becomes the source of their greatest energy. Bigotry and selfishness scatter and divide the general strength by causing divisions and dissensions, but charity collects their forces and embodies all their strength against the enemy. This leads to his first outline point, which is explain the exhortation, be strong. He says, it is not natural but moral strength that is here intended, not bodily or mental, but that which is communicated by the Holy Spirit. A man may be as strong as Goliath and at the same time quite as wicked. He supports this from a number of cross-references and then goes to his second and larger point, which is notice the particular cases to which the exhortation is applicable. And he lists a number of these. First, we must be strong to labor, specifically um, in mortifying sin. Secondly, we must be strong to conquer. We are not only laborers, but soldiers. Thirdly, we must be strong to suffer. And fourth, and relatedly, we must be strong to die if we hope to die well. In order to do this, he says that we will need at least four things a strong and lively faith, a faith well-founded and vigorously exercised. Secondly, a well-founded and animating hope. Thirdly, great strength of affection to be with Christ. And fourth, strong consolation and a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. All these, he says, will keep a man from fainting in the evil day. And then he moves to four short improvements. First, learn the great importance of this exhortation from the apostle. It is necessary in laboring, in suffering, in life, and in death. And he goes on. Secondly, we see the reason why so many professed Christians faint in the way and fall short at last. They have strong confidence and strong delusions, but they are not strong in the Lord. Thirdly, we may learn how it is that real Christians generally make so little proficiency and enjoy so little comfort in their souls because they depend on their own strength and too little on the Spirit of God. And then fourth and finally, he says, let those who feel and lament their weakness and their lack of Christian courage deal much with the Savior, and by faith and prayer, lay hold on his strength. I hope you're able to find some of these profitable sermons for personal or family use. 
Thank you for listening today. This is Ron the Baptist wishing you grace and peace. Thank you.